chasing dead dogs and fleas. Next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we see Saul chasing David. David finally has allowed himself to somewhat get caught and asks Saul, you're chasing dead dogs and fleas. Why? You're the king. And that's the question we look at today here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Hi there and welcome to our program. We're continuing our series on the life of David, which takes us to the life of Saul as well. And that's where we'll camp over the next couple of programs, taking a look at the man, the contrast to David. It's all found here again in 1 Samuel, we pick up in chapter 24, Chasing Dead Dogs and Fleas. With today's broadcast of Truth For Today, here's Pastor Phil Howard. Well, today we're going to look at the life of Saul and uh, a profile of decline a man that we, uh, we've been meeting him in the life of David, pursuing David. And I thought we needed to just look at his life and look at a couple of statements that seemed to epitomize what he wound up ending his life doing, but he did not start out at all the way he ended. And turn, if you will, to uh, 1 Samuel 24. And when David spares him at the cave, and they have a dialogue, and David is saying, why are you wasting your time pursuing me? Uh, he says to him in verse 13, as the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. In other words, what you are is what you will do. And since David is not an evil man, he will not do an evil deed. But he asked the king, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea. Now the king has been pursuing this young man for about 10 years. David's been running all over. I just looked at a map this week of all the places David ran in the land to get away from Saul. Saul is to be running the country for God. David's not an enemy of the nation of Israel. He's not an enemy of Saul. But Saul makes him into an enemy and wastes some of his best years and the last years of his life, chasing someone that David in a diminutive way says, I'm just but a dead dog, I'm but a flea. Why are you wasting so much energy on me? That's almost a kind of rhyme there. I could do a rap on that. Uh, you know, why are you wasting your time chasing me? And then you go over to chapter 26 and he's tracking down again David has spared him again, gone into the camp and uh, taken the water jug, showing him that he could have killed him. And in verse 20, at the end of the verse, he says, uh, the king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have erred greatly. And what self-condemning words on how he'd been spending his life those last 10 years. Let's begin to look at this man's life. Go with me back to chapter 9. 
Look at the beginnings of his life. No one looked more promising than Saul at the beginning. If you just read your Bible up to chapter 12 of Samuel, uh, we've got nothing but a hero on our hands. We've got God's man. Uh, everything about him is great. What, what turned him into this uh, seemingly insane hate maniac? What, what came over him? Now look, when God is going to answer Israel's cry for a king, he uh, mentions this boy named Saul, an impressive young man, verse 2, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. So this is the Rambo of Israel. This guy is big. He's physically a match because Israel wanted someone physical to lead them into battle. They got tired of having an invisible leader. They want a visible leader like all the other nations. Well, uh, when he is approached about the job in verse 21, he responds in overwhelming humility. But am I not a, Benjamin, a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? How could it be that I would ever be a king of Israel? I'm not worthy of it. I'm too insignificant. Well, some men even reproach the idea and they make fun of the idea. And when the men want to kill them, Saul shows restraint. Don't touch them. Leave them alone. Let them deride me. I want no vengeance. I want no killing. So he's, uh, uh, in chapter 10, he's anointed. And uh, in verse 7, or rather 5, uh, he goes up to Gibeah where there's a Philistine outpost. And as he approaches town, he meets a procession of prophets coming from the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Wow. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. I mean, is this wonderful? Humble? A fine physical specimen? A man that wants no vengeance? A man that is said to be changed into another person? A man that the Spirit of God turns him into a prophet for a moment? And a man that the text says God was with him? He only puts one thing he wants him to do. Don't miss it. It seems so, uh, you could almost lose it in the narrative. It's incidental, seemingly. Watch this one thing he's got to do. This one thing. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. This is Samuel talking. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But now note. Now put yourself in the role of a parent instructing your child. I want to know if these instructions are clear. But you must. Does that sound strong? You must wait seven days. Now when you read the passage in chapter 13. He did wait seven days. But was there any other instructions? 
Or is it just wait seven days? Until, put the seven days in there, and then wait for me to show up until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. That's all. That's all you got to do. Well, he delivers the city of Jabez from the Philistines, has a military victory, confirmed as king. Uh, Samuel gives his farewell speech in chapter 12. Chapter 13, the meeting at Gilgal. Let's see how he carried out instructions. Watch what it says. We pick up uh, verse 7. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days. So far, so good. The time set by Samuel. You see, Samuel was God's contemporary word to him. They had the uh, Mosaic writings, but when God wanted to tell a king or his people a contemporary word, he didn't write them a book, he sent them a prophet. And that prophet gave the word for the context, for the circumstance. That is the word for the moment you're to pay attention to, king. Because you don't, you don't tie up God. We have a prophetic office over here. You're serving for God and I'll speak to the king through my prophets. So when the prophet shows up, it equals the word of God for what we do now. The contemporary word. So he's there. He's got his men. They're getting ready to go to battle with the Philistines. He waits the seven days. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men begin to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Well, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time. Wait, wait, wait. Seven days. So it's seven days plus a little time. We don't know. It's not another day. Seven days and then I'll show up. So Samuel's on time. Remember, Samuel's getting old. It's the only reason a man would be late. That's not in the Greek text or Hebrew text, but I felt that on my heart. Uh, he said, what have you done? Well, I saw the men scattering and you didn't come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Migmas. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. It sounds very logical. I like it at first. You acted foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. Well, his first great mistake is he didn't have time to wait on God. He was going to do it his way anyway. He put God on a stopwatch and gave God seven days to act. 
but he didn't have time to wait for a word from God. All I need is seven days to pass. I'm going into battle on my own. I will move into the priestly and the prophetic role. I'll play all the roles. Hear me well. It's one thing to represent God. It's another thing to act like you are God. And that's what people in church have got to remember. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you represent God. Please don't give those kids any image you are God. It's great for pastors. Many are preachers destroyed by either pride or discouragement. You represent God. Don't ever get a people to think you are God. I remember trying, I went up for jury duty in Richmond and uh, I was there waiting for them to call out the people and I'm there and I'm sitting next to this woman. We're all waiting and, and uh, this one guy said he went to a church so she got engaged in conversation and then uh, I said, oh, you guys go to church? Yeah, I did too. And then all of a sudden she said, why? She said, it's wonderful, isn't it? To think that we're gods. And I thought, oh, she, you know, uh, no, no, I didn't hear what I just heard. And uh, I said, oh, what was that again? She said, well, you're a god. Did you know that? I said, not lately. <laughs> and she said, why, yeah. She said, we're, we're all little gods. I said, you obviously haven't been doing my laundry. <laughs> gods aren't in that bad of shape. Uh-uh, no, no, no. Uh, and let me tell you, I haven't done your laundry. Honey, gods don't have your laundry. You know, God, the best of men are still just men. That's why you ought to be praying for your pastors and quit treating them like they don't need prayer. We're just men. If all of a sudden you heard we did something disastrous and, oh, I'm men, I just thought they never needed prayer because they're nearly perfect. Talk to our wives, they'll fill you in. <laughs> if you need an advanced course, talk to us. But here the man that was supposed to represent God began to take the initiative of God and presumed on God, if I want to get a word from God, I'll act like a prophet. If I want to step into the priestly office, no, you've been set aside as a king. There's no priesthood in the tribe of Benjamin. You've got to be in the tribe of Levi. You've got to stay in your appointed role, Saul, or it's going to bite you and you're going to pay. You just lost the kingdom because you couldn't wait another 20 minutes on God's man. God's not impressed by our agitation and our problem with waiting, when his word is so important to you, you know I can't move until you speak. If not, he'll remove us. He'll get someone simple enough just to obey. Well, he goes down to chapter 15. Uh, God wanted the Amalekites eliminated because when Israel was coming out of Egypt, they uh, would not help the Israelites. And they gave him fits. And so God says, it's payback time. I'm going to get revenge on the Amalekites. And Saul, I want you to kill them off for me. Eliminate them. They're a stench. Their wealth, everything. Do it. This is the assignment. When God gives the assignment, don't question him. Just do it. Well, Saul, glad to do the assignment. But notice what happened when they started doing it. Verse 7, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle. 
the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Why do you think they spared the best? Greed set in. Why, God, you wouldn't want to destroy this nice fat lamb. We love lamb chops back at home. Oh, you wouldn't want this garment destroyed. And this king, he seems like a wonderful man. Let's show a little mercy. God didn't mean it. God gets a little harsh at times, you know. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. That is an amazing phrase to me. God was grieved that he created man in Genesis 6, and so he destroyed the earth by a flood. Jesus was grieved that Jews and Israel were not receiving him. And in Matthew, he said, I'm weeping over you, O Jerusalem. I've come like a mother hen that wants to gather her chicks, and I wanted to gather you up as my people, but you wouldn't have me. I wasn't good enough. I didn't fit your expectations of Messiah. And he weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that kills the prophets that God sends you and eventually kills the Messiah. And he weeps over it. It's none of this, oh, the will of God's been done. Let's go on. No, there was great grief, great sorrow. And here God is grieved that this man will not cooperate with him. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, he went up and he met Saul. But someone asked, he asked, where's Saul? They said, well, he's gone to Carmel. Not Monterey, Carmel. There's one in the land. There he set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. Tells you what's going on in him. He's getting delight being the king. He starts taking credit for the victories. Let's don't build a monument to God. Let's build a monument to me. When you start getting concerned about what monuments people are building to you, you know something's going haywire with your motivations. Let another's lips praise you and not your own. We have never been appointed to praise ourselves. Now we all need encouragement, affirmation, and I think in encouragement, that's biblical, but it's not our job to do it to ourselves. We're to do it to others. And so here he's building this monument, kind of tells you what he's beginning to feel about himself. He doesn't quite now feel he's as small as he was thinking. And notice what it says. Samuel reached him and Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. I am totally suspicious when he does this. It's like kids when you pull up in the driveway. Hi, daddy, we've done everything you said. Be a little suspicious. <laughs> I mean, you, you need to be a little nervous. Something's not quite right. It's just not like you just run. I did everything you said. No, no, they're running up there because they're covering something usually. Maybe not yours, but others' kids do that. Saul answered, uh, as he tells Samuel, I've done what the Lord said. What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? Bah! What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Moo! Your actions speak so loud we can't hear a word you're saying. 
What you do speaks louder than anything you say. I hear noise. I hear the, I didn't know your army were sheep. All your men turn into cattle. When I show up, I'm just to hear men. I hear cattle. Where'd you get this? When did you go in the livestock business, King? Well, uh, uh, but I've done everything the Lord said. Well, Mabel Cowell over here just said you didn't. In cow language, she said you disobeyed. And that sheep just said, he didn't know what he's supposed to do. <laughs> you didn't know what he was saying, but the prophet knew. And that's wonderful. I never did that before in my life. Um, uh, so the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Notice who gets the blame for the sparing. But I thought soldiers follow the king. Don't soldiers have to do what the king says? Stop! Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. You ought to be glad. We're bringing God a wonderful offering. Man, we, you know the money we made on that bank robbery? We've devoted 10% of it to God's work. <laughs> you know? A guy went to an old preacher one time, a Nazarene preacher, forget his name, and came to him and they made a, a large offering. He was holding a tent meeting back in the Midwest. And uh, they came to him and he said, here, he gave this big amount of money and they're pulling a prank on him. And uh, he took it and said, well, thank you. Guys were unsaved. He said, well, we thought you'd kind of like to know where that money came from. He said, well, I, I don't need to, but if you want to tell me, fine. The guy says, that's all the winnings from a poker game on Friday night. We thought you ought to know. He said, why, thank you. The devil's had it long enough. <laughs> so just don't tell us where it came from, but if you put it in there, there's no refunds. But here they're saying, man, this has got to be all right if you're going to use it for God. He said, let me tell you what God thinks of what you did. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And this is Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules.
Thank you for joining us today. It's our prayer that our time together here on Truth For Today encourages you in your walk and relationship with Christ. As we close out our broadcast, we would also like to invite you to contact us if you have a question about the broadcast, a prayer request. Maybe you'd like to order a copy of today's broadcast. We do have them available. Simply contact us and let us know of your interest. You can reach us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. You are also welcome to write to us. Our address is 1511M Sycamore Avenue. We're here at Suite 278, Hercules, California. Zip code is 94547. Now, another way to contact us and learn more about us would be to visit our website, valleybible.org. It's there that we have all kinds of information about who we are, what we believe, directions to the church, service times. And we also have a lot of resource material stored there as well. Simply go to valleybible.org and spend some time exploring our website, finding out about us a bit more. If you would like to become a TFT sustainer, we would love to hear from you. This broadcast is aired daily here on KFAX as we are able to partner with you, our listeners, financially. Now, as a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil. Our weekly video devotional is available to you as well. And again, it's all as a TFT sustainer. When you contact us with your gift of any amount, we'll sign you up. 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org. Or you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless.